Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. We're starting a new series called The Story We Find Ourselves In. That is what we're calling. We're finishing with a preposition on that phrase. For my mom who's watching, it should be the story in which we find ourselves, but uh, we're, we're going with the story we find ourselves in. And uh, that's, I, my mom was an English teacher, and uh, I just, I've had people down through the years that actually knew that, that have thanked her because it's made listening to me uh, maybe better. <laughs> Don't want any hanging gerunds or... Starting sermon, finishing sermon series with a preposition. But anyway, uh, so we're starting this series. And this is, I think, an important time. It's an important time for us to talk about the big picture of the story that we find ourselves in. And it's, it's an important time for us as a church to learn, to be disciples, to put on our humility hats, and to be learners. Like, we don't have it all figured out. And uh, that's just a great way to approach Scripture. I mean, I've been at it, you know, 35 years, really intently trying to study the Scriptures for doing things like this, and I'm still just, I'm, I'm cracking the door open, man. I mean, it's like the vista is unreal. And Jesus, there's always more. There's always more to this treasure and to the, the, the life that we have together in Christ, and so we're going to do a bunch of supporting things during this series. We, we know this is an important series. And so we'll take the message on Sundays, and then we'll work it out in the life groups. So that's, like, that's what we do as a church. But we're always asking this question, what's the state of your life? What's the state of your soul concerning this truth that we talked about this morning? How are you doing? How's your heart? How's your mind? You know, well, what's your next step? What's the Lord speaking to you? Those kinds of questions that we always get to and then praying for each other. I mean, there's just no telling how, you know, we may always need counselors in the world, but I, I feel like there's a lot of maintenance that's done on our souls just by going to life group and being there and getting prayer week in and week out. Does that make sense? I mean, just a lot of, a lot of help along the way. So, uh, another great resource, uh, Jim Reynolds is actually here today. Love you, Jim. Thankful for you, brother. And uh, we're gonna, he's going to be working right alongside in his podcast, The Politics of Jesus, and we will be doing simultaneous, you know, kind of basically the same week talking about the same subject, but it will be a deeper dive, you know, I'm not, just a, a deeper dive with him uh, theologically. So uh, these will be weighty theologically. I'm not giving you light but you can take a deeper dive with Jim. We're also starting a class in March called How to Study the Bible, and that'll be on Monday nights with uh, Graydon Jones and Claire Woods. We'll be leading that together. So it's exciting, just a lot of resources. I would even point you to, from time to time, I'll point you to a Bible project uh, podcast or resource that actually they're, they're doing a lot of stuff right now that's in a similar flow. So what we're trying to do is look at the entire story. And we talk about this all the time. I'm always framing things, creation to new creation. But we actually want to take 12 weeks in the upcoming, whatever that is, two, three months, 12 weeks, that would be three months. I, I know, <laughs> just that figured out. But three months, and then just look at the story. Really go deep on this thing. And today we're talking about what is, should always be the starting point, looking at the story through the lens of Jesus Christ, because he is the, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, the last word and the exact representation of the glory of God. So there's a lot of verses I just alluded to right then. But what we're doing is we want to give an overview of this story in a way that stirs you to read your Bibles, that stirs you to want to study the Word of God, to, to grow, to be a disciple that's on the journey of growing. We have so many competing stories in our world right now. Like, we're just, we're being, we're being co-opted left and right by somebody's story, and God wants us to order all of our life to the story of God. First and foremost, we're not the American story, we're God's story. 
First and foremost, uh, you want me to get specific? We're, we're not first and foremost the Democratic story or the Republican story. We're the God story. So, so we want to order life. And I could go on and we just pick your subculture or whatever. And, and we want to order life to the story of God. And I just think the timing is important for us. Everyone is living in a story, period. Everyone is living in a story. We all live in stories in the midst of all of this. And it, whether we're aware of it or not, it affects the way we live. What we understand is the story that we're a part of affects the way we live. It's just straight up. It affects our ethics, what we consider valleys, what we consider mountaintops, what we do, don't do, choose to be with, don't choose to be with, all of those things. Alistair McIntyre wrote a famous book on moral philosophy and ethics called After Virtue. And he says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? We grow up hearing stories. We, We grow up hearing stories. And we understand or misunderstand what a child and a parent is because of the story that we're a part of. We learn or mislearn what a child or parent is or what my roles are in life because of the story that we, I mean, it can be quasi-functional or really dysfunctional. You know, I mean, if you grew up in a home where being a gangster and robbing banks was normal, you might, that might be one of your options as you grow up, right? And so we've got all of this stuff that is really affected by uh, the story in which we find ourselves. As disciples of Christ, we are a part of a great story, the greatest story, God's story. And that's how we want to order our lives as we're bombarded with all of these other stories. And here's an example of competing stories. And I think one thing I'm going to do is pull in a bunch of different books and resources and things that we're Uh, and and put them in our notes. I didn't do it for this first message. But one I'm reading right now is by a guy named Ian Proven, who is an Old Testament uh, professor at Regent College uh, University in Vancouver. And uh, this book is called Seriously Dangerous Religion, What the Old Testament Really Says and Why It Matters. And he's just talking about stories right at the start. He's talking about stories, and he gives the example of two very different novels. And novels tell stories, right? So they can be helpful and point to greater lessons in life or not. And so he tells the story about uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I I wasn't familiar with that story. I've seen it, but I didn't know what it was about. And it's basically an absurdity story of people from one universe that find out that the answer to the universe is the number 42. And so they go to another universe, our universe, and they create the earth, and it's a program. And they're trying to find out what's the question that gives that answer. And they go through, I don't know the whole story, but then they get nearly to the end, it almost has it figured out, and then they just stop it. And that's, and maybe there's other books and it goes on, but they can't have the same question and answer in the same universe. The point is, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. There's no point to that kind of a story. And yet that's the kind of story that a lot of people are living in, thinking there's just no point to life. We're just existentially here and then we die. You know, there's no God, live the way you want to live. Contrast that with another story that he talks about, the Lord of the Rings, So in the Lord of the Rings, you've got Sam and Frodo. They're on their way into the teeth of darkness that's trying to spread all over the world. And they're taking the one ring and they're taking it to the Mount Doom or, you know, someplace like that. And they're going to, not someplace, I think that's it. Um, And they're going to throw that thing in the lake of fire and it's going to destroy the ring and all that. And then Sam famously says, oh, Frodo, I wonder what sort of tale that we've fallen into. Sam, I don't know. <laughs> Can you hear it? I, I know some of you guys really like that story. I, I'm just going to digress here for a second. Like, that's a meaningful story. Uh, like, they're trying to save the world from evil, right? Um, and uh, 
One, this is a few years ago. I was trying to make some point about how we're on this journey together, the fellowship of the ring, and we all need each other. Even the little guys, Gandalf's trying to get into the gates of Moria, and he's doing the spell and all this stuff, and nothing will work. And Frodo comes up, and he says, speak, friend, and enter. And, and, uh, and like, there were six people in a class of 25 ADS students that actually knew the Elvish word for friend. I was like, yeah, you guys are crazy. <laughs> Melon or something like that. <laughs> Somebody affirmed me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Where was I at? Yeah, the stories. Okay, so we've got competing stories, and it's a big deal. If you're committed to an ideology that doesn't allow you to hear this story or diminishes it or thinks that you have it already all right, all figured out, then it's going to be hard to learn. You know, if I've, I've already got it all down, my way is the right way. If we get life out of being right, it makes it hard for us to, in humility, learn what Jesus is trying to say to us as his people. So it's a big deal. Um, you know, if you, I think atheism is like that. It's a, it's a, Compared to the big story, the, the big thousands of years story of God and his work in and through people, atheism, I mean, it takes a lot of faith to just believe that God isn't there and there's nothing and it's meaningless. I mean, that's a flimsy kind of story and bad stuff has happened in the world because of it. And I'll just mention three from the 1800s. Uh, Karl Marx. So it's a story about money. He's telling a story. It's a godless story about money and what all's happened in the world because of Marx's philosophy. How many tens of millions of people have died because of this story? Friedrich Nietzsche is a, a, a godless philosopher who said God is dead, literally. A godless philosopher who put great priority on power and people having power over others. A race of supermen is what he was ultimately looking for. Guess who picked up that theme? Hitler, right, the Nazis. And how many tens of millions of people died because of World War II? The Holocaust, on and on. Sigmund Freud, a godless philosophy about sex. And how many... I don't know how many died, but how many lives have been wrecked because of the philosophy that came, the godless philosophy that came in and through Sigmund Freud. So danger, Will Robinson, danger is unleashed when we are not connected to the story of God. And there's all of these stories out there that are competing for our attention, that want to co-opt us and suck us into saying, no, this is the story when God's saying, I want you to order your life to the Jesus story, with the Jesus lens, with the, 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 the Jesus orientation, the Bible story from Genesis 1 and 2 to Revelation 21, 22. It is a, it is a story. It's written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors, but there's one story part that holds it all together, and it's Jesus. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and that declaration that comes through his resurrection that he is the true king and Lord of the world changes everything. Like game on, like it changes everything and not just the resurrection, but then it changes what we understand about who Jesus is, his incarnation, that he has taken on humanity in himself, male, female, Europeans, Africans, Asians, everybody assumed in his humanity, and he lives a life of perfect response to the Father, accepting the judgment that is on and rightfully on humanity, dies our death on the cross, and is raised on the third day by the power of God. Just it's getting louder. Raised on the third day by the power of God, walks on the earth for 40 days, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And pours out his spirit for power and gifting and, and fruit in our lives. God's empowering presence is not absent from us. He is with us. 
Praise the Lord. This is good news. And so Jesus then is the key. He is the lens through which we're looking. He is God revealing himself objectively. Objectively. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And so we, we always have to adjust our ideas about God to Jesus. We, we are calibrating always, and I'm calibrating. We all have to calibrate to Jesus because Jesus is the definitive revelation of God. He is the lens by which we understand God. I can point you to, uh, let's see, the first Ephesians message. Um, keep praying for my voice. It's, it's on its way out <laughs> right now. <clears throat> but uh, the first Ephesians message in September of last year, the overflowing message in January of this year where I'm unpacking that, the idea that Jesus reveals God. The overflowing love of God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity. So Jesus is the lens for God. Jesus is the lens for understanding Scripture. And I'm gonna, we're going to unpack that during the course of this series. He's the lens for understanding Scriptures. The Scriptures. And for what God is doing, like the kingdom of God, the mission of God. What's God doing? It's, 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 he's the key for understanding how we live in the world. Ethics. What we do. What we say. What we think. So Jesus is the key there for how we live and thrive and do justice and, and work for holiness in our lives. And then the Holy Spirit is the gift that makes all of that real. He is the, the empowering presence of God for us. So here's the main thing that I'm going to be saying today is that God is inviting us to find ourselves in his true story by reading scripture through the lens of Jesus backwards and forwards. Isn't that weird? We're going to read backwards and going to read forwards. And first of all, let's look at reading backwards. I'm t this, is, this is like, her, uh, the, the Bible word is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is learning how to interpret the Bible. We read through the lens of Jesus. Everybody tracking with me okay so far? Right. It's been, been like a big amen message maybe, I don't know. But uh, but so when I say backwards, we're reading from the, the New Testament. Let's get my timeline in front of you guys right here. It's from the New Testament back into the Old Testament, okay? So in the New Testament, what happened, Jesus says point blank explicitly that he's the key to understanding the scriptures, right? John 5, verses 39 and 40. Um. He tells the Jews, the Jewish leaders, you study the scriptures diligently. 10, 12 hours a day is what was recorded. 10, 12 hours a day. Diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Jesus says this explicitly about the scriptures. He says it explicitly about God that he is the revelation of God. To see him is to see the Father. I and the Father are one. So then it's the, revel it's, it's the resurrection, though. When, he, when he's raised from the dead is when they kind of really start to get it, right? So let's look a longer reading here at uh, Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And uh, this is a little bit longer reading, so why don't we stand up for the reading of the word, to honor the reading of the word. So in verse 17, Jesus is raised from the dead. Cleopas and this other guy, who's not mentioned, are leaving town. And Jesus comes up alongside them and says, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped, check out the irony of that. We had hoped 
that he was the one. He's standing right in front of them. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is now the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are. And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. And they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and then began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the 11 with and those with them and those assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and the two told what they'd hap- what happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Y'all have a seat. Amen. Isn't that good? So after the resurrection, everything changes. It's game on. I mean, literally everything changes. The apostles are running to the Old Testament, to the scriptures, to understand what is written there about Jesus. And the gospels then are four different expressions, four different vantage points on that running to the Old Testament, to the scriptures, to then unpack the story of Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I talked about Jesus being the fulfillment of the temple, Remember in John chapter 2, John wants to highlight that, the the temple and the vine. And in John 2, 21, I believe, in 22, he uh, says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You can't rebuild it in three days. But then it says, after the resurrection, they remembered what he said and they understood that they weren't talking, he wasn't talking about that building, he's talking about his body. His body, his body being this multifaceted, many rooms, worldwide house. His body, the temple. And so all, I mean, they're just running to, to understand those things, those, those satisfying points of view that they had not seen before. They're like, wow, that's incredible. Paul was doing the same thing. Theologically, he was doing the same thing. You read his letters, he's looking back, he's telling the story, he's unpacking the exodus and slavery and freedom and all the things we're gonna be talking about in the next few weeks. He's unpacking that, but he was doing it personally. And I want us to see this. This is important because we all need to do the same thing. We all need to look at when we met Jesus and look back at our lives like a memoir and you go, oh, now I understand what was going on in my life. So in Philippians chapter three, Philippians three, verse, second part of verse four, Paul says, and just, it's if he's not Paul, it's kind of cocky. I mean, he says some stuff that we would never in our humility say, right? <laughs> if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I just almost see in a parenthesis Jack there or something, you know. (laughs) Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Wow. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of, of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing 
worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Scubula is the Greek word, and it means dung or other flowery ways of saying, that's what we're talking about. Garbage, dung. That's, that, that's my old life without Jesus. I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes uh, not from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The faithfulness of Christ is the way that can be translated as well. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith and his faith, his faithfulness is, is where we want to put the weight of that. So it's like a memoir. It's not, it's, it's not a, this story, when we're looking retrospectively through the lens of the resurrection in Jesus, it's not like you read the Old Testament and you just know what all is going to happen. And if you think they could do that, that would be putting Jesus in an awkward spot as if those people could figure out what was coming and didn't need the revelation of God himself to make it known. So that's why we call it retrospectively reading from the New Testament into the old in order to more fully understand what's going on there. Does that make sense? That's, that's huge. We say that all the time, but I'm just trying to unpack that in a way that, that is, is helpful. Because then when you start doing that, then you can realize a lot of the Old Testament, it's not just predictive prophetic, like telling exactly what's going to happen. A lot of it's figurative. It's, it's figurative. So you, you look at Jesus and then you go, oh, wow, the temple was kind of, I, I see what he's doing now. And it's going to get deeper and richer as you look through the lens of Jesus at Israel being called a vineyard or a vine, right? So those are figurative ways of understanding. It's like a flashback in a movie, Somebody's remembering what, or a Christopher Nolan movie. That's the, this is the illustration we use around here a lot. Christopher Nolan, he always has something that happens about three quarters of the way near the end of the movie, and you go, oh man, now I gotta rethink the whole thing in light of what happened out there. That's what we're talking about with Jesus. Something happened in Jesus, incarnation, life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, coming again, to judge the living and the dead, coming again, that changed everything, changed reality, changed our understandings of what happened in the past. Those events, they're, they're what they are, but our understanding of those events is radically changed because of Jesus, okay? So uh, the early church, they were onto this, I mean, very early on, even before the gospels were written, or maybe the, the, the Gospels were being written. It was just, there was a lot happening at the same time, but it was a long time before the New Testament fully got put together. And so one of the things the early church fathers did was they came up with a thing called the rule of faith. And that's regula fide in, in Latin. And uh, the rule of faith then is what, what was the core teachings that the apostles were doing in preaching the Gospel? What was the core, core stuff? And it's, it's things like there is a creator God who made the heavens and he made all that is. And he is father and son and Holy Spirit. And this eternal son became a man born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a fully human life and he died on a cross crucified under Pontius Pilate. You see where this is going? Like the rule of faith ultimately became like the apostles creed. And it helped develop the creeds. And that he is, he died on the cross. He was raised on the third day. He's coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's the rule of faith. It was called the ecclesiastical rule sometimes. And there's some things. I just, uh, Yancey had put me onto a book called The Rule of Faith by Everett Ferguson, who's like one of a handful of just the top scholars on the pre-Nicene faith in the world. The guy's about 90 years old and emeritus from ACU, but a great first century, second century scholar. And the guys that were writing this stuff down were like Irenaeus, Clement of Alexandria, uh, Tertullian, um, Justin Martyr. The, 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 these were the fathers that put this, this rule of faith together, okay? And the rule of faith then really 
became something that helped them to interpret the Old Testament scriptures. So when I'm saying, look through the lens of Jesus, this is what I'm talking about. You look through the lens of Jesus and the story of Jesus, who Jesus is. It's not disconnected. You're not just looking at your own idea about Jesus. You're looking through, uh, I was with somebody, we heard this, Beth Moore was preaching somewhere and she said, this Jesus, just fiery the way Beth, this, not that Jesus, but this Jesus, the one crucified, buried, raised on the third day by the power of God. So um, these core facts are just, they're, I mean, even the rule of faith alone, just those core facts separate Christianity from earlier Judaism and separate Christianity from later Islam, right? Just, just, just that rule of faith right there and from other world religions and pantheism and Eastern religions. It puts just our faith in a unique place under the lordship of Jesus. Okay, and the implications then are huge. If we're saying that Jesus is the key to understanding scripture, then we're saying Jesus is the key to understanding our ideas about the character of God. So when we talk about wrath and anger, we put those ideas not just randomly on a God that's out there in black space somewhere. We put those ideas, and you'll see them in the Old Testament, but they're through the lens of Jesus. That it's, he's not just, or God is a father. And so that's the revelation of Jesus. And so a father's anger, you know, is, is more like, no, don't do that. You're killing yourself. How would James love his daughters and even be angry sometimes, but love them in a way that expresses that he's a father who really does care for them. And he could be angry with them. And I'm just going to say, James isn't a better, better father than our heavenly father. And you're an awesome dad. Does that make sense? Or, or holiness. We're looking through the lens of, of uh, time out. We're looking through the lens of Jesus. And so you could get the idea. You, you start talking about the holiness of God, which we're going to do in the next few weeks. And, and you could get the idea if you didn't see Jesus come in the flesh and touch sinners, you could get the idea that holiness was like God in a hazmat suit walking around in a sterile laboratory, you know, and he can't touch anything to do with us or our sin. And so it's got to be through the lens of Jesus that, yes, holiness is absolutely transcendent in love and beauty. That's who our God is, holy, 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 who steps into the middle of our mess and takes on our flesh not a fake flesh, but a real flesh, our real humanity. Jesus stepped into it and didn't sin and touched sinners. But that wasn't sin. Make sense? So I'm, what I'm talking about is reinterpreting all of our, our ideas, our messed up ideas. Uh, sovereignty is a huge one. Who believes in the sovereignty of God? Absolutely. We believe in the sovereignty of God, but we've got to go, wait a minute. God chose to use his sovereignty to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Utterly sovereign, and that's how he would use all power in heaven and on earth. And all authority in heaven and on earth. Isn't that powerful? So it's going to shape our thoughts about election, about covenants, about the kings, about the promises about the looking for the good news about exile and return from exile, about freedom and deliverance. It's going to shape because we're looking through the lens of Jesus, how we interpret all of that stuff backwards, right? So then the other piece, then as we read scripture through the lens of Jesus, forwards from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And, you know, part of, part of this one is uh, we just have to immerse ourselves in the story. Like, you've, you've really got to read the story. Yes, we're always, we, we know that Jesus is up there, and so I've, I've, there's some tension in what I just said and, and what I'm asking us to do. 
But, but if we don't know the story, we don't always get the full impact of what Jesus has done on our behalf, right? And so we want to immerse ourselves in the story, not only reading backwards, but also reading forwards. And I got that that language from Richard Hayes, and for I'm gonna. This is one of the books for the nerd dear uh, uh, deep dive extra credit people. You can read Richard Hayes reading backwards. It's a great, uh, great book, and uh, kind of where I got this way of framing this today. Everybody good? I feel like I'm just preaching my heart out, I'm trying. Uh, so the Old Testament then informs what's going on in the New Testament, and it gives the storyline, and we need to understand that storyline of creation, of rebellion, yeah. of, man, it was bad, yep. you know, and, and even how patient God was walking through the mess of all of that stuff, even to people trying to build a tower that reached him, and then the dispersing of peoples, and then... God coming to a pagan and said, I'm going to bless everybody through you. You know, election, choosing somebody to have a family that would then be the family that would actually look like everybody else, even though they wanted not to. They ended up being like everybody else. But out of that family came the chosen one, the Messiah, the Christ. All right. So uh, to, this really does help us to get more clear as we understand the story together. Bible Project, uh, Tim and Tim Mackey and John, I forget what his name is, uh, uh, they do, uh, did a thing somebody pointed me to last fall called Paradigm. And it's actually some similar stuff to what I'm talking about right now. Uh, a, a, uh, uh, how do you read the scriptures? How do you study the Bible? And so that might be a resource for somebody. But in that first message, they were talking about some of the things that the Bible isn't. Like it's, it isn't a reference book. It isn't a theological dictionary. And it isn't a moral handbook. Now, it, it's not that you can't go and like, oh, man, that's such a good verse. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you'll be covered with shame. Uh, let me try again. Um, <laughs> let me go over here to the New Testament. Right. It's not that you can't do that kind of thing and be devotionally encouraged. Yeah. And it's not that you can't uh, have some kind of a grid. It's just that the Bible is not organized as a systematic theology of these different topics and headings. What's it say about man, God, salvation? It doesn't work that way. It, it, it's, it's actually, it's a, actually a, a sweeping narrative of story from the ancient far past and it has all of these other kind of ebbs and flows of poetry and wisdom and prophetic literature and uh, promises and, and gospels that talk about Jesus and, and letters that are written, written to specific situations in different, and you can learn from that. We learn from that. And the key is we interpret all of this together under the leading of the Holy Spirit together. Is, there really is like a lot of interpretation that has to go on and happen. Uh, apocalyptic literature, it's intentionally cryptic. I mean, you know, the revel it's literally apocalypse. That's the word in Greek. It means revelation, the unveiling of Jesus. But you, it's not just like real easy to look at that. You need some help on that. It's written at the end of the first century to a church that is struggling under the oppression of Rome, Babylon. And it, there's, 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 there's just things you have to work through. And, and so all of the scriptures, everybody tracking with me so far? It's this... It's lots of different kinds of literature even over many years, 1,600 years, 40 authors. You know, it's like raise up a child, like Proverbs. It's true. It's axiomatic, but does it always happen exactly like it says? Raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's axiomatically true. 
Have you ever known anybody that departed from the way even though they were raised in the right way? Yeah. So it, it's, it, the point there is like we need handles for understanding how do we interpret uh, the Bible. So it's, it's huge. If we're going to be talking about creation and rebellion, election, covenant, kingdom, exile, rescue, last days, eschatology, just, and, and on that, we're in the last days. Everybody knows that. Like Peter says, in these last days. We're not less in the last days now, 2,000 years later, than Peter was in when he said, these are the last days. <laughs> so we're framing ourselves in that story. And so here's an example of reading forward. Let's get out your Bibles. Thanks for hanging with me today. Okay. So here's an example of reading forward. Isaiah, so you're reading along, you read Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 and 8. So he's talking about the temple, and he's talking about Gentiles and foreigners coming to the temple. It says, these I will bring, these foreigners, to my holy mountain, verse 7, and give them joy in my house of prayer. Come on. All the you Gentiles in the room, you get in on this deal. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, similar kind of theme about the, temp uh, the temple. Slide over a few pages to Jeremiah chapter 7. Verse 3, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood... In this place, if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land that I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Verse 9, will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, and burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 8, just one more page over, verse 13. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree, and their leaves will wither. What I've given them will be taken back from them. And one more passage, I'm not going to go back there, but just Isaiah 5, 7, talks about Israel being a vineyard of the Lord. And we've talked about that in the last couple of weeks, uh, expected justice, but instead the Lord found bloodshed. Now roll the clock. So that's reading backwards. And looking forward, turn to Mark chapter 11. And I'm going to just see, let you see how Jesus puts this together in his own life, right? So that's the story that's being told, and Jesus is enacting that story. Mark chapter 11. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. They're quoting Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The next day, they were leaving from Bethany, and Jesus was hungry, seeing a fig tree in the distance. He went to find out if it had any fruit. He reached it and found no leaves, nothing but leaves. It was not the season for figs. And he said to the tree, verse 14, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. So that, that piece about the no figs on the tree, Jesus is now actually literally enacting that. And the next piece he does as well. On reaching Jerusalem, he entered the temple courts, began driving out those who were buying and selling. He overturned tables, money changers, those selling doves. He wouldn't allow them to carry on, carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, 
He's teaching them all along the way. He says, it is, uh, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's the Isaiah 56. And, but you've made it a den of robbers. That's Jeremiah 7, right? So you see how he's enacting that in the temple in accordance with the storyline that's been going on and living that out. Now look at chapter 12, verse 1. And this is where it gets heavy. Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. He rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At the time of harvest, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect them from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, but they seized him and beat him, sent him away empty-handed. And then he sent another servant, and they sent him away. They beat him. And so he had one left, verse 6, a son, one left to send, a son whom he loved, and he sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take the inheritance. It will be ours. Now, again, not only is Jesus dealing with Israel as the vineyard, the vineyard owners, but even the come, let's take him and kill him. He's telling a parable that sounds like Abraham offering his first son or Joseph, you know, that's the brothers. Let's take him. Let's kill him. And they took him and threw him, they killed him and took and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. And they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. So the point there in all of that is to say, not only do we read the scripture backwards and, and see Jesus that way, but we also read the story forward and we see how Jesus fulfills it. We put, we put ourselves in that place and you're going, wow, what does this mean? What does this mean? And then you see Jesus like, what I've just tried to show you there, unpack what was actually being said in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? So reading the Old Testament teaches us to take God seriously, to put our faith on the ground of love and to care for others and those who don't have what we have and to understand that the judgment of the Lord is real. And we're gonna unpack that. The judgment of the Lord. In the Old Testament, even though I would argue that God is actually super abundantly patient. Even in the Old Testament. I mean, like talk about gross, gross violation of everything from 900 through 400, the end of the writing of the Old Testament. It's a mess. I mean, it's just, it is a, it's a full-on mess. And so God is gracious, even in his patience, waiting for the sending of the Son to bring redemption to the world. The Old Testament teaches us to pray for things being made right on the earth right now and to get out of our minds a Greek dualism of spiritual things good, physical things bad, and teaches us to ground our faith right here and right now. And that heaven really is, if you follow the storyline, heaven really is coming to earth. And there's got not going to be any more separation between God and us or between heaven and earth as God renews all things and creates a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah, and to be faithful to this covenant promise, which we're going to see over and over again, God is faithful. He's faithful even when we are faithless. He's faithful. And that's one of the beautiful things about God is that he's faithful to his covenant promise and ultimately to send himself, his own son, to die for the sins of the world and to save the world. Great quote here I'm going to finish with from, from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, the sun, but because by it I see everything else. And that's the way it is with Jesus. We believe in him because he's the glorious savior of the world and it's by him that we see everything else 
as it should be in life. The right responses to people, relationships, economies, the city, our nation, the nations of the world. It's huge. We orient and reorient. We learn and relearn. We are coming to the scriptures humbly. Humbly. I don't have it all figured out. Lord, I need you. Lord, where I've gotten crusty and hard in my ideology, even my interpretations, Lord, help me to humble myself and look through the lens of Jesus. He is the living word that this written word points to. And we're going to unpack that over the course of the next few weeks. Amen. Y'all stand up. Okay. So one of the things we were praying about this morning, it's, it's interesting how I get ideas for ministry a lot of times in the place of prayer. But, but one brother was praying that, that people really would get the Jesus lens, like a, almost like a contact lens, you know, where it brings things into focus. Somebody else was praying, you know, when you go to the eye doctor and you, this one or that one? You know, this one or that one? This one or that one. I actually started list, laughing because it made me think of Brian Regan right in that moment. Like, you're looking into my soul. But, um, but this one or that one. And so we get more focused when we look through the lens of Jesus. Or it's like a cataract, you know, that, that hinders us, blurs our vision. And when the cataract is removed, we can see more clearly. That's what we're going for. We're going for clear vision. We can't be neutral. When it comes to stories, we will be co-opted if we are not intentional about participating in the story of God. So, put your faith in Jesus. If you need to turn from the way you've been living, turn and put your faith in Jesus right now, today. If you've not been baptized into Christ in water, then let us know. We'll get a baptistry in here and we will baptize you in water. That's, that's like like a first step in following Jesus. But the key here today is we are saying, Lord, would you just speak to us and meet us? If I get the ministry team, come on up. I am, I am convicted that the world is parched for a word from God, for a life-changing word that will change life and the way we understand our lives. So. If you need to see more clearly, if you need to follow Jesus, if you need to give your life or offer your life in some fresh way, or if you just have a prayer thing that's going on, you're going through a struggle right now, please don't leave without getting prayer. If the front fills up, get prayer from somebody you came with. But let's press into the Lord and let's start right here at the beginning of the story we find ourselves in and say, Lord, have your way in us, orient us to your story in the name of Jesus. Come and get prayer. Let's press into the Lord here just for a few minutes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.